Welcome to Charlotte Media Podcast, Episode Five. Alan Kavan is here from Fox Sports. Yeah. When was the last time I saw you, Alan? I think it's been. I hate to say it's been six years. Yeah, years. I mean, we both did the the local the local beat together and um, everything that comes along with that. And then uh, you and I before we started recording, like you know, being on local news and doing all that, you're everywhere all the time. You're always out. And then when you don't have that schedule anymore, you miss things. You don't go to parts of Charlotte ever, every time, all day. I haven't been to Ballantyne. You haven't been to Noda. No, it's Uh, weird up here. We're at the Crown Coffee Station and Pub. Nice place. They have beer and coffee. And, uh, (laughs) and it looks different. I, it's bizarre. It's not the uh, it's not the fat city that I remember from the early two thousands. Not at all. And, and I've lived here uh, ten years since I moved to Charlotte, and uh, things have changed. And I mean, the only reason I live here is because it's in close proximity to Channel Nine, and oh, I am a true. very practical person. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't want to drive far, and uh, so that's why I moved here initially. And then I ended up loving it, so that I've stayed <laughs> around the corner. Well, uh, we'll get to Charlotte later. Uh, you you grew up in suburban Hartford, uh, Marlboro and Glastonbury. Yeah, I, I believe. Uh, what was it like growing up a Rusty Wallace fan in Connecticut? It felt lonely, right? Uh, just only being there's a big there's a good racing scene up in New England, but in terms of NASCAR, even back in the '90s, I, I was the only one. At least I felt like I was the only one. I can assure you, I was the only one wearing Rusty Wallace T-shirts. <laughs> to sixth grade every day because I had five mm-hmm. different shirts. I would wear them every single day. Would, would this be the, the Kodiak number 27 uh, Pontiac t-shirt? No, or, this uh, was a Miller Genuine Draft, okay, which UGD is, car. yes, okay. didn't always go over well in elementary school, <laughs> especially my hat. A t-shirt I can get away with, but I would wear hats that would be emblazoned with Miller Genuine Draft, and I was told to take some of those off sometimes, and they probably thought bad things about my parents, but I'm like, what are you, I don't care about beer. Like, this is NASCAR. Like, it's racing. My man, Rusty. Yeah. And uh, so that felt a little lonely, but my, I, my family on my dad's side especially has a background in racing so that's how I got involved uh, my grandfather did it professionally uh, my dad did it growing up uh, quarter midgets and I raced these yeah. little things called quarter midgets yeah. and that's why I was a race fan and uh, I felt like I was the only one sometimes okay. and you did race for a while right yeah I'm uh, hey look you're talking to the 1997 New England quarter midget champion in my weight class <laughs> <laughs> what, what what weight? Uh, it was called heavy stock, oh, and heavy uh, stock. that yeah, means you had to be a hundred pounds or more. That's what I thought as I was coming up Craighead here. I said, "There's a, a heavy stock fella." Yeah, and when you were a kid, that was a hundred pounds or more. So, uh, but yeah, no, I raced, and uh, you can't take that away from me. Okay. I, I grew up in Charlotte. And I didn't really consider NASCAR a national thing until one time I went to New Jersey with my old roommate, Brad, and we were headed to Atlantic City. We stopped at a Wawa to get a cup of coffee, and there were two guys outside with mullets and Dale Earnhardt hats driving a Mustang. <laughs> I said, wow, that's weird. I guess NASCAR is everywhere. But it, it, there is, was a big racing scene in New England, and there still is. It's pretty strong. Oh, I mean, yeah, especially on the local side. It, it, there's always been a huge good racing scene, dirt, when you get up in Massachusetts. And uh, New Hampshire Motor Speedway, that opened in 1993. And um, I, and there's always the, the short track scene that's it'd been there since the 60s. I yeah. mean, there was a place called Riverside Speedway, which mm-hmm. is now, uh, you know, I, I went there growing up, and now it's a Six Flags. It kind of sucks. Well, Riverside was an amusement park, but it also had a racetrack. And then Six Flags came in and made it a Six Flags and got rid of the racetrack. But there's a lot of old-timers and uh, not-so-old-timers that still remember Riverside Park. Well, what was it growing up like in, in Hartford? Was it a, a good place to grow up? You got yeah, I, I grew I, I grew up, like you said, in the suburb, uh, Glastonbury and Marlboro. I come from kind of farming background on both mm-hmm. sides. Um, so you worked at your aunt and uncle's farm, Yes, okay. my aunt and uncle had a big farm, uh, 80 acres of blueberries, which is, uh, I learned, is 
by farming definition, a ridiculous amount of blueberries. Uh But, I mean, they were one of the biggest blueberry suppliers from uh, Maine to Virginia. And, uh, uh, you know, I didn't do the farming, obviously, but I worked the farm stands. I Mm -hmm. picked the berries, made the boxes and everything. And uh, it it helped me get a good work ethic because I got to... You know, every summer from when I was 13 on, I was uh, working like 60 hours a week. And, okay. and uh, that's not normal for everybody, but, you know, it established a good work ethic. And, and it, it, was a good, it was a great way to grow up. Is it still there? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, right. As my, my uncle passed away, but my aunt uh, kept it going, and okay. it's been in the family since the early 1900s. And I'm proud of her. She's, uh, you know, in her 60s now, and she just sold a part of it, which allowed her to... Um, buy a house down here on okay. Lake Norman, oh, wow. which All I right. can, I'm sure I will benefit from, but, yeah, uh, you know, it's part of her retirement, you know, it's hard to farm forever. And that's the whole, that's a whole other discussion about yeah. the next generation of farmers. But, um, you know, it's nice. She, uh, she's earned it and I'm glad she's uh, living a good life. So at, at what point was it when you were racing quarter minutes before that, did you decide I either a want to race or B I'd rather talk to the drivers themselves and do, do the media side of things. Good question. I have a standard line is at some point you either run out of talent or money mm-hmm. when it comes to racing. I like to say I ran out of money, but no. uh, at age 15, uh, like again, even at that level, racing is so expensive. Um, and to when you get to 15, 16, and you get out, you, you just make the decision: are you going to mm-hmm. be an adult racer, if you will, mm-hmm. or even? Or you know, just give it up. It's like a hobby. It's like when you stop playing soccer in high school or something. Right. And uh, you know, uh, it was just very natural. Obviously, we weren't going to go racing professionally, so gave that up. But ever since I was young, since about uh, you know, I grew. We were of similar age. I grew up yeah. in that sports center era where mm-hmm. you know you wake up every morning. Dan and Keith. Yeah. During the summer, you'd watch it three times every morning. Absolutely. At least to repeat it, it was 30 minutes. But, yeah, that was the routine. You have your cereal in the morning, and you Mm -hmm. watch SportsCenter. And those, yeah, Keith Olbermann, Dan Patrick, uh, Mike Tirico, and all these people, they were like your friend. You know, I grew up in that generation where it was appointment television every morning, 7 a.m. doing SportsCenter. And I didn't really know what it was, but I was like, I want to do that. I'm an only child. Like, that was my entertainment. You know what I mean? I didn't have a a brother or sister to talk to in the morning. So that's how I felt. Uh, It's as crazy as it sounds. Like, the TV was my friend. uh, It still is. It is, yeah. And for some reason, I felt like I want to give back. I want to be that source of whether it's information or entertainment. Mm -hmm. And that always stuck with me. And, I mean, really, at a young age, 10, 12 years old, I knew I wanted to do something on television. Right. Uh, So... Obviously, it wouldn't be a media podcast if we didn't talk about Syracuse. Oh, yeah. That was your, your next step. You, you, you grow up in suburban Hartford. You see these people at ESPN 30 miles away, and uh, you decide, I want to do that, too. Syracuse is a good place to do that. Exactly. And, uh, I mean, I'm just, I don't know, very stubborn, or when I get something in my head, that's all I really want, right? Uh, and so it was during 1996. It was Syracuse made the Final Four. I wasn't a Syracuse fan then, but I r- vividly remember Dick Vitale saying, yeah, baby, all those Syracuse <laughs> grads at ESPN oh, must yeah. be going crazy. I was like, what? A lot of people who work at ESPN went to Syracuse? Yeah, like That's like, where I want to go. Like 83% probably. Probably. Yeah. I had no idea yeah, then, though. A lot, I, yeah. I mean, I had heard of Syracuse, but mm-hmm. I'd never, I never considered it as a school or a team or anything that I would like. And then I heard Dick Vitale say that, and just like that, I wanted to go there. And that was it. And you did. Uh, yeah, and fortunately I did, knocked on wood. I, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, I allowed my parents to take me on a college tour, even okay. though I knew without even visiting it, yeah. I won. Right. there's only one you place there, I wanted to go. Yeah. Uh, but we did. We, we did the due diligence. That's what I guess what I was looking mm-hmm. for. Mm-hmm. Looked at, like, Boston University and, okay. uh, what, Ithaca well, and B- Boston University, home of, uh, <laughs> of Howard Stern, yes, of course. Yes, yep, yep. Yeah. And a good yes, communication yes. school. I mean, Indeed. good places. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh 
and I was trying to be open-minded, but when I went there and I went to Syracuse, you could tell the difference in terms of the television and communications okay. aspect of it. And, uh, and I think even my parents probably didn't want to because it was expensive. Right. But they probably didn't want to admit that, but they could tell, and uh, I'm glad it worked out because it did, and uh, I'm a loyal orange now. All right, so somebody from Fox, I believe, visited Syracuse while you were there, and uh, you asked him a question. And he gave you a job for a weekend. Is that, yes, is that uh, yeah, that's uh, that's how I got my origin, my origin story of working at Fox Sports. Uh, yeah, good good research. Um, as we've learned, or as I learned, a lot of alums, a lot of TV alums, went to Syracuse, and one of them happened to be the president of Fox Sports at the time, Ed Gore. Ed Gore, a yeah. big yeah, yeah. T TV legend. TV. So I've come yeah. to learn, and I didn't mm -hmm. really know as much. I just saw President Fox Sports, okay. and. Uh, and that was the benefit of going to Syracuse, right? right you had either right. alumni or you had professionals that would come in and you could do Q&As. And it, that was, it was like, wow, like there he is. Like you can just go there, listen to his presentation, ask him questions. It was great. So I go there and he goes, you know, does this whole, um, I, I remember going there. You think big, right? So I oh, think yeah. I had like a VHS resume tape. Mm -hmm. like, like, yeah, I'm going to give him this tape. I'm going to be on television. It's going to be amazing. So you go there, presentation, and it gets done. And I was with, uh, I call them, you know, Sports Center wannabes, right? Mm -hmm. I was oh, with, yeah. I was the part of that generation. I was in a whole class of them that you would think, you know, everyone. So, so, some of whom I'm sure have been on Sports Center since. People, uh, in your some class. of them. Yeah. Uh, it's a big weed out program, yeah, but, yeah, sure. um, but you know, everyone's, you know, they got their takes and their 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 opinions, and they're all quippy about sports, and mm -hmm. they're like, you know, I always found some of them annoying, I guess. But <laughs> it comes at the end of the presentation. And the, Ed Gore, the president of Fox Sports, goes, any yeah. questions? No one raises their hand. I'm like, what are you thinking? So I raised my hand, and this was 2003, and you need a little context here, but the, um, the Daytona 500 had been rained out that year. Rain had canceled it early. And this was, you know, pre a lot of, obviously, Twitter and everything, but there right. was Internet chatter and angst. Message that, boards. Message boards. Yes, sir. That they had canceled it early because mm -hmm. the 300th episode of The Simpsons was airing that night, and they didn't want to interfere with it. So I raised my hand, and I said, did you cancel the Daytona 500 because The Simpsons was coming on? And he looks at me kind of and smiles. He goes, no, smart ass. <laughs> and that was it. And then he moved on and answered some other questions. And... Uh, I, afterward, I went up to him, mm -hmm. my big bubble envelope tape with a VHS thing in there in hand. I go, Mr. Gorn, I'm Alan Cavana. I asked you that question. I want to give you, he goes, I don't want that tape. What am I going to do with that tape? I'm never going to watch it. Like, don't give me that tape. Uh -huh. But here's what I will do. Do you want to work at a NASCAR race? That's what he told me. Do you want to work at a NASCAR race? I'm like, yeah. yeah. And uh, I got to be a PA. Um, okay. Unbelievable. He said he gave me his card mm -hmm. uh, in front of all, again, the Sports Center wannabes who weren't getting anything. And that was pretty cool. Right. And he gave me his card, said, call this number. And uh, my, the first ever NASCAR race I got to see in person was I was working uh, as a part of Fox Sports as, uh, as a PA. I was the food getter. I was literally the guy who right. uh, filled the food bowl up in the booth. For Mike, Larry, and Daryl. That's and, uh, Mike Joy, Larry, Larry Mac Reynolds, and Daryl Walter. Yeah. For those of you that aren't familiar with NASCAR television. Yeah. So it was it was like instantly being at the top of the the NASCAR broadcasting echelon. I was in there. I was in that booth, and I was filling the food bowl, and uh, just and obviously didn't lead directly to a job, but mm -hmm. I, I've circled all the way back and made it back there. It's really cool to think about. All right. Before we move on, uh, the Charlotte Media Podcast is brought to you by. 
the Tipsy Burro Saloon and Cantina. The Tipsy Burro features Charlotte's best Tex-Mex and has plenty of items for vegetarians and carnivores alike. Visit the Tipsy Burro at 2711 Monroe Road where you'll find Charlotte's best waterfront dining and a giant ass on the side of the building. Uh, have you been to the Tipsy Burro? I have not, but any big ass this I, tracks me. It's great, yeah. <laughs> Already. So you go to you, you work your first NASCAR race. You finish up at Syracuse, and you do what every fresh college graduate does. You go find a low-paying job in a small market. And oh yeah. For you, that was Joplin, Missouri. Joplin, right? Missouri. Send out probably a hundred tapes, dubbed them all in VHS, uh, having to send all those out and, and dub them with not you know the best. Equi- it was VCR to VCR. Oh, yeah. I mean, it really was. And uh, I sent out probably a hundred tapes and, and got literally one callback. And that was all I needed, though, right? I mean, yeah. that's all you need in life that's is that one person to say yes. And they did. Yeah. Didn't even know where Joplin was. They'd never heard of it before other than addressing in the envelope. Because <laughs> back then you could go on, uh, was it like Media Line or something? Yeah. And they had yeah. The, yeah. the job listings. And so I just did every single one. Mm. Didn't even care where it was. Yeah. And uh, I took the job over the phone, sight unseen. Oh, you didn't even do an interview? No, over the phone. Over the no, phone. I mean, oh, wow. they, it's not like they were going to fly me out. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's good I point. mean, this yeah, is market, right. I think, 154. Yeah, it's up there. Um, and so, and the guy at the time, Jimmy Seidlecki, he was the anchor slash uh, assistant news director. He was a New York guy. So, you know, we were speaking the same language. And he's like, look, uh, look, it's a start. You don't yeah. come it's out and do it. a foot in the it. door. Yeah, it was a foot in the door. And that's all, that's all I needed. And so I said, yes, sight unseen. And three weeks after college, I got very lucky in, in hindsight that uh, three weeks after college, I was on my way moving halfway across the United States. So you're rolling to Joplin, and you're making how much? Uh, $18,000. My mother cried (laughs) and said, with tears in her eyes, you can make more at McDonald's. Mm -hmm. And she was probably right. right. No, she absolutely is. And I never thought twice about it. I mean, maybe I didn't know better, but it was, uh, you know. It was it was where I I'm just an optimistic person. I knew I needed to start. You know, it's this, this whole business is. It, yes, it sucks to make eighteen thousand dollars. It but does. It's the you worst. You know, it's not. If you work hard, or if you at least if you have a goal in mind, that's not yeah. the end. You know, it was just the beginning. So I knew it was temporary. So it never perturbed me to. It was never. I knew that going in. I guess is what I'm right. trying to say that it would be a struggle. But uh, I was. <laughs> I always used to say, I always use Matt Lauer as the example. It's okay. a terrible example now. But like, I was like, Matt Lauer makes 20 million bucks. You should be like Matt Lauer. But like, yeah. no, don't be like yeah. Matt Lauer. No, not anymore, but before. I'm like, so you, you can focus on the bad or you can focus on what could potentially be. Uh-huh. And I was always been able to focus on what could potentially be. And that's what's always driven me. So moving to Joplin, it was, it was fine. Uh, so, so you get there and in the back of your mind, are you always still NASCAR is the goal? Yes. When you get to Joplin. Yeah. Turned out to be fortuitous because a couple of uh, – and Joplin has a pretty decent NASCAR base and a couple of drivers. Yes. Uh, NASCAR was always the goal, and but uh, I knew – so I wasn't – I didn't want to be a sports guy. I mean, I, I guess I would have, but uh, it wasn't sports I wanted to do. It was just NASCAR. Right. And there's just very – you know, just look at any – just do the math. I mean, mm-hmm. for every 10 r- news reporter jobs, there's two – Sports job, so right, right. I, that, it was just more advantageous to get your foot in the door, get reps, be on television, do all that stuff. So that's yeah. why I took a news job, and uh, I always figured hopefully I can work from the inside. And Joplin yeah. happened to be the hometown of NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, mm-hmm. and um, I was able, to, yeah, to work from the inside. Uh, Kansas Speedway wasn't that far away, so 
the sports people who didn't know much about NASCAR. I was able to take, I was able to volunteer and go right. with the sports 11 news or NASCAR 11 news photographer. Mm-hmm. One of my greatest friends, Gary, you know, look, he, you look at him, he looks like a NASCAR fan. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got the, uh, the, 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 uh, the big mustache. He looks yeah. like a Cheshire cat, if yeah. you will. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he's a big Earnhardt fan. And so we were, we, they let us go cover Kansas and they, I pitched them on doing the Daytona 500. Let yeah. us drive there. And they went to like, Joe's Grease Auto Body got 1200 bucks, and they're like, all right, if you drive there, go do it. And so we covered it. My first Daytona 500 that? got to cover it. And uh, so, yeah, every single stop along the way, I've tried to incorporate NASCAR, but my primary job was always news. Mm-hmm. All right. And then you moved from Joplin to Evansville, Indiana. Evansville, Indiana. Moving on up. Market 104. All right. How, how was that? That was good. I was 23 at the time, and I got a job as a morning anchor, um, <laughs> which is, you know, in hindsight, again, all this stuff in hindsight, like, what, 23, yeah, 23. And, I, and I look young, knock oh. on wood, anyway, because I don't shave, I still don't shave, I'm 36, and uh, I was paired with a, an anchor uh, who was in her 30s, and I, it wasn't derogatory the way I asked it, I didn't feel, but I was like, like, how do you feel about anchoring with a kid that's 23 years old like I just felt like so inadequate but it was was good experience it was uh like a third place station but again a good experience and the morning show that shift awful a life ruiner yeah it's bad uh it's it's bad morning news that Mm -hmm. that shift is really really bad especially when you're 23 yeah it was awful and it was just trying to go to bed at six Mm o'clock and get up at, at three in the morning it felt and it was at a very like kind of dark time in music too. Like I remember waking up and VH1 would be on or something. It was just like very depressing songs would be playing and like about like hate and just like self-loathing and like like this is what's on at three in the morning. It was like ah, oh. it didn't make you happy about the day, but uh, it's a good experience. I you know I moved up quickly. I wasn't I didn't stay as the morning anchor for a long time. I took the opportunity to get off that shift and actually got a Sunday to Thursday shift, which was actually okay. pretty cool. Um, and again, but it was it was close to Indianapolis where I could cover the Brickyard, so I was always ke- keeping my toe in the water when it came to racing coverage a little bit. So that helped. All right. So obviously, getting to a NASCAR centric market was paramount, whether that be Orlando or Charlotte, and you ended up right here. Yep. And that that was uh, again, the, uh, you always kept I always kept the same goal in mind, and I think that's what's always been that's helped me avoid getting down in the dumps about how taxing the daily news life can be right because i always had a goal like everything was always every day was a means to an end every live shot was i'm getting a little better i'm getting a little better because i have this goal in mind that's what you have to have something to keep it going Mm -hmm. and when i signed a contract in evansville i re-signed and i was very hesitant because i didn't want to be locked into anything Mm -hmm. and i had like five markets richmond orlando charlotte and some other one maybe hartford because it was close to home right and uh, i said if i get a job in any one of these i can leave immediately yeah and they're like sure and so just like that, I would apply to every single Charlotte job, mm-hmm. and I got one at Channel 9, WSOC, in Charlotte. And uh, that was obviously my primary goal because Charlotte was the NASCAR world. And, again, it worked out. Now, Channel 9 is more known for news than their NASCAR coverage. Oh, so, yeah. So clearly you didn't come here thinking you were going to be covering NASCAR on a weekly basis. Absolutely, and I had a news director at the time that uh, made sure to, to tell me that. You know, she was happy that I uh, had a NASCAR background, and mm-hmm. that was that made it maybe the city more attractive, but she, she, they were very clear, like you were coming here for a news job and mm-hmm. not to cover NASCAR. I was like, all right, whatever, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. But I, and I knew sh- getting to Charlotte was important for my ultimate goal. Right. 
And well, once you got here, a pretty big NASCAR story break broke with uh, Jeremy Mayfield. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, that, and again, I was able to, because NASCAR is an industry and a lifestyle here, I was able to make news stories out of that, whether it be the economy or whether it be one of the drivers testing positive for methamphetamine, <laughs> Jeremy Mayfield. And uh, guess who they turn to in the newsroom when something like that happens? The guy who yeah. knows NASCAR you, and, and made sure not, that not, everyone knew it, right? <laughs> so not, not Harold Johnson, Alan Cavana. He'd already left, but oh, okay. uh, all right. So. Uh, but yeah, I was able to. Uh, very fortunate on that one, and uh, that that's without Jeremy Mayfield and without Twitter, I wouldn't be where I am today, one hundred percent. Because Jeremy Mayfield did his whole thing, and he said uh, we were staking out his, the date when it happened. This was two thousand nine, and. God, almost 10 years ago, uh, we were in his driveway, you know, doing the, the local news door knock. Which is what, Claremont or somewhere else? Uh, we're County, with Troutman, right? I think it oh, was okay, way okay. up there. Right. We were doing that, and um, we were doing, yeah, the local news door knock where you show up and you, you get video of, like, buzzing or, like, hey, knock, knock, knock. You know, oh, we, you know, we showed up to his door and no one answered. And, like, you know, that's what you run on the, on the news at oh, night. Yeah. And uh, as, we were, as we were packing up, I still had the mic because we were, yeah, I was in his driveway. He was a gate, and I was about to show. Like, we showed up to Jeremy Mayfield's house, and there was right. this gate. So, well, we tried. A truck rolls up. The window rolls down, and it is Jeremy Mayfield. And, uh, I don't, look, I'll give, I thank God, my photographer, photojournalist, Bray, Bray, Bray Beardsley. No, Bray, all right. Uh, another Charlotte legend. A Charlotte legend. He was there, Johnny on the spot. He had the camera on his shoulder, never stopped rolling, never hesitated. He, like, we were talking the same. With, I mean, again, without him, if he's not ready, none of this happens yeah. because I walk right up to him, microphone in hand, shake his hand, Bray is rolling. I knock it out of the park with questions like, Jeremy, did you ever use methamphetamine? He answers, Jeremy, like, why are you, he was spout off these crazy NASCAR yeah. things. Why would NASCAR do that to you? He answers, great sound bites, everything. Without Bray, if Bray's not rolling, if mm -hmm. the camera's not ready, if he packs up early, yeah. my whole life is different. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's those little moments you never forget. And Jeremy Mayfield answers, and so that gets a lot of play, obviously, on Charlotte television. Yeah. And because of Twitter, on Twitter, I wasn't, I wasn't the Charlotte News guy. I was a NASCAR yeah, guy. Yeah, you're a NASCAR guy. Uh, that's how people knew me on Twitter because that's all I would tweet about. And so that got me attention. That got me, you know, as a caller on like serious radio. And then my clip was being played on ESPN and Speed Channel. And that certainly didn't hurt. So thank you, Jeremy Mayfield. <laughs> so all of a sudden, uh, Twitter's pretty, well, it's not new, but well, it was new. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I joined February 2009. Okay. So, so it, it was newer. Yeah. And uh, so all of a sudden, you're getting followers from, from people who wouldn't normally follow a news guy at TV9. Correct, uh, like racing journalists right. mostly, right. and then right. that, that their followings helped me get the racing fans. But mm -hmm. uh, you know, getting being seen as that 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 kind of core or someone you could rely upon for news and right. something others didn't have, it all started there with Twitter. And then you're beating national journalists on the story because nobody else had talked to Jeremy Mayfield and been able to ask him, "Did you use crystal meth?" Jeremy, yep. did that happen? It was awesome. I got to <laughs> say, it was awesome being able to just be here and be in the courtroom and for his arrests and all that stuff. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be the, the, the outlet for Channel 9 on that, and that got a lot of attention in the places I wanted it to. And so those people that got that attention, at, at what point did they contact you and say, hey, maybe you should come talk to us about doing something other than working at Channel 9? Yeah, it was a real slow process, to be honest, in terms of um, – 
the, the television and like Fox aspect of it. Had great conversations with some people mm-hmm. from Speed and stuff, and um, they, they definitely knew who I was because. Uh, and, and that was the funny part about moving to Charlotte is that remember I've been sending tapes since right. 2006. Like uh, oh, to, to Speed, just to, 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 an, to anybody. Fox. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, like remember this is not early internet, but yeah. it, the, the world was not as connected as it is mm-hmm. now in 2006 so you a lot would, of padded envelopes yes but i would troll websites and you were you would just look for anything like you it just seems so much easier now to look stuff up like who is like who's the producer who's the head producer at fox let me send them something yeah, it, it was, is it was a lot harder so i would find names of like gms and everything uh-huh. not even knowing who they were and i would just yeah. write their name on the envelope and you know it could have gone right in the garbage i never knew and there was a guy up at speed jim chiapelli he was the boss up there and i remember sending him stuff in 2006 2007 just random stuff that i would do in joplin yeah. and in evansville and you know never never hearing back never hearing anything and then i remember moving to charlotte and doing like the the nascar media tour and i'm standing around <laughs> and i look Jim Chiapelli standing right I mean, next to me. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't miss that mustache no. for, for, for three states. But I was stunned. I was stunned into silence. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then you know what? He looked at me and goes, you're Alan, aren't you? I'm like, oh, my God. What? He's <laughs> he like, you me. sent me stuff years ago. Yeah, it's probably sitting on my shelf somewhere. I was like, you watch that? He's like, yeah, but, you know, you were young. We're, we're not going to, you know, sign you or whatever. But I'm <laughs> glad to see you're here in Charlotte. So it was it was little things along the way. Um, that, 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 that all helped, and certainly the Mayfield stuff helped mm-hmm. and got me in the right circles, and I would spend my vacation time and my weekends using a WSOC press pass right. to cover races. Mm-hmm. I mean, I drove myself to Richmond, Bristol, Atlanta, uh, Talladega, Darlington, okay. both the Charlotte races, obviously. I, Daytona, I think I drove down to. Okay. I did all that on my own, um, covering it via Twitter, really. I mean, right. I, they were... You know, I would get the pass via WSOC. Right. Neither the channel nor the track knew the real truth. But no, it didn't matter. <laughs> no, but uh, so but so so you, so you mean to tell me Bill Voth wasn't calling, uh, begging you to send back some 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 NASCAR sound? For no, he wasn't. Lem- oh, that's shocking. And he would he, oh, he kindly turn a blind eye I, whenever I didn't I'd see wa- that coming. Whenever I'd want to go to the track, he he gladly <laughs> let me go. Um, thank you, Bill Voth and Tiffany and Rob Rob Paul. Um, yeah, it was very kind of them. But uh, so, yeah, and so I was just making FaceTime, making connections as much as I could. And uh, the TV thing, there was flirtations. Mm-hmm. I did like one, I, I made an appearance on Speed. I did okay. a race day episode, I think in oh, like wow. 2012. And I was like, all right, things are happening. This yeah. is uh, this is going to be good. They never, they never called again. Hmm. And it's like, what? What happened? I mean, they had to have known I couldn't have been that good, right? Like yeah. one time, like give me another chance. And. You know, and then I'd write back, and they'd be like, "Ah, we just don't know what's happening. It wasn't uh-huh. you. It's us." Like, yeah. you know, it's like yeah. I don't know. But then, um, all of, out of nowhere, because of all these connections, that's when NASCAR rebought its digital rights from Turner, and, I believe. From, they from have. Turner, yep, and it recreated the new NASCAR.com, and that included a video team and a video reporter. Again, none of this existed, mm-hmm. and so I just get a call one day from uh, the HR department saying, would you be interested in this position that doesn't exist and we can't really explain? And I said, uh, yeah. Yeah. And it was awesome. And, and, uh, and so all of a sudden you're doing, you're, you're traveling to a lot of races. Yeah. I, uh, I made, this was 2013. And this is on the cusp of the digital video revolution, right. I guess you could right, say right. again in hindsight. But I made the, I mean, the choice to get off television every day, which, yeah. you know, that was, it was a big choice back then. I mean, it was, it, even though it was a full-time NASCAR job, it was still a head-scratcher to be like, wait, I'm not going to be on television anymore? Right, right. Well, what does that mean? 
And but it meant me being still on camera, still doing interviews. Just my medium is now this website, NASCAR.com. And uh, I thought pairing my TV background with a full-time NASCAR gig, yeah, like I was the guy for. Look at it, you know. There's the AP, there's Jenna Fryer, there's the Nate Ryan's of the world, yeah. and I was NASCAR.com's representative. So I was like, I was part of that. You that were there, row. Man. Yeah. So yeah. it was like it was a way to elevate. Uh, and get involved in the sport, and I'm glad, certainly glad I did it because I was covering NASCAR every day, all the time, and traveling, mm-hmm. and being you a part of it. Didn't have to drive to all the races no, then, did they you? They flew Alan? me <laughs> and I got a hotel, and it was awesome. <laughs> I was suddenly being paid to cover NASCAR, and it was awesome. It was awesome. And that continued a couple years later. You, you heard from our, our friends at Fox. Exactly, and then yeah, through there, I was I knew I wanted to still be on television, and that was always the goal. And and now I had this huge resume of, of racing work mm-hmm. because that's all I did. And uh, the same people I kept in touch with in 2012 and and er, even earlier, you know, we didn't lose sight of each other. But I made right. sure to keep sending, keep sending, keep sending. And eventually, yeah, I don't know why it just worked out. They were going to expand Race Hub, add some reporters, and uh, I was on their list. I'm glad I was, mm-hmm. and uh, that's how it, that brings us about up until now. I moved over there in 2015, and now I'm about to start my 15, 16, 17, 18, what, fifth season there. Well, was it was there a moment? I'm sure there have been many, but t- tell me the first time you were at a race, doing something, interviewing somebody. I I don't know, interviewing Rusty Wallace, yeah. your, your your favorite driver, growing up, and you're like, wow, I I I've made it. This is my goal. Yeah. I'm here. Yeah. Uh, the, well, I can remember the first time, the first professional interview I ever did at a racetrack was Rusty Wallace. Oh, wow. My okay. guy. Yeah, right? And uh, and that was, I just remember, that was when I was with Joplin, Joplin for KODE. And we just, I remember we only had one day to be up there, so I knew we had to get it done. Yeah. Like if you go, if you're part of the media corps now, you know, there's, there's like a structure, right? Yeah. I mean, there's people that come into the... The media center, that's mm-hmm. your time to interview. Back then, I didn't know any of this. I didn't nope. know about PR people. I didn't know anything. <laughs> if I did now what I did back then, I mean, I would be yelled at. My bosses would yell at me. PR people would yell at me. This Back in 2006, I was just running up to drivers yeah. in the middle of practice with a fucking, and putting yeah. a microphone <laughs> in, in their face and trying to get like yeah. interviews like because I was fortunately more goal-oriented than I was starstruck. Uh, I've always been able to be good at that. You know what I mean? I, I can I can put the job first and right. kind of knock it out of the park in terms of being able to compartmentalize that I wasn't awestruck by Rusty Wallace. I was just saw him as subject A. I needed it for my story about Midwest right. drivers. I don't care who it was, whether mm-hmm. it was Rusty Wallace or the Dalai Lama or the president. It didn't matter. I had to get an interview, a soundbite with this person for my story, and my story was the goal, yeah. not being awestruck by this person. So afterward, you know, you kind of come down a little bit. I was like, oh, my God, that was Rusty Wallace. Yeah. That was cool. But, um, but that was just my motivation to get okay. the job done, and I've always been able to do that. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, you try to pinch yourself once in a while. Look, there are days when the job's... You know, you get, it's like any job. Everyone, gets, yeah. everyone hates their job. Well, not hates, but everyone mm-hmm. gets tired of their job sometimes. But uh, you have to keep that perspective, and I try to as best as possible. <laughs> okay. You're, you're traveling constantly. You're on the road every every weekend. Uh, I, Just, I, I got some friends that do it. And, yeah. uh, you know, uh, some, some other folks like uh, some more Charlotte legends, uh, Clint Wiles and Chris Cook. Oh, that yeah. I, that I speak Love to here guys. and there that are uh, on the road. It's a grind. How, how do you deal with it? Uh, it's tough, um, and I'll be traveling. It looks like in 2019 more than ever. Uh, I don't. I've never gone to every race. There's few people that go to every race, but like right. th- those two you mentioned, mm-hmm. they almost do. Um, I think the most I've done is probably like 20 or 21, and I'll okay. at least do 23 this season, okay. doing all the truck races. All right. 
And uh, so that, that'll be tough. And I'm in an out, even a crazier situation because the whole other half, other half of my yeah, life we is... We're going to get there. Yeah. yeah your, okay. your wife, Diane, lives in Atlanta. Yes. My, uh, my wonderful, beautiful, intelligent, uh, aspirational wife is a CNN reporter who came from Charlotte as well. And, uh, but she lives in Atlanta. We live apart. Yeah. We, we are two network reporters and, you know, we're chasing our goals and we live apart. And so that makes it even stranger, yeah. especially with the travel. But, uh, you know, we make it work. It's, it's not easy, but uh, traveling more, hopefully there'll be some balance. We'll figure all that out, but it'll be an interesting season. How, how, how do you make that work? Because uh, your wife's on the road at all times. Yeah, she can be. I mean, yeah. she can be called at any moment. Uh, she is a correspondent, and right. whatever the big news yeah. is, if there is a big news, I, I like to say in the southeast, but it mm-hmm. can be anywhere in America. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, it's news, so unfortunately it can be bad. It's mm-hmm. generally bad, or politics. Um, uh, she can be gone at a moment's notice. It's, it's crazy how they travel. It's like, yeah. you know, you got to be on a plane in three hours. Right, Everything right, they right. book is one way and last minute. I can't mm-hmm. even imagine their travel budget. No. But... Uh, you know, it can be tough. So, yeah, so we met here in Charlotte, and we were together for many years, and mm-hmm. she was at uh, Competitor, WCNC, yeah. while I was at uh, Channel 9. And, uh, you know, we, we had a relationship for years, and then well, we both had aspirations. She mm-hmm. knew mine. I knew hers. And she got the call from CNN. It was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. But you got to move to Washington. I was yeah. like, well, of course, it's yeah, CNN. Go, go. Yes. yeah, go. Yeah, we'll figure Whatever. It out. Yeah, yeah, we'll figure it out. And we've been figuring it out. And that's just what we do. This is before we were engaged, but not married yet. And so, yeah, I mean, last few, first few years, she was in D.C. And that's about a six-hour drive from here. And I made that a lot. And um, thankfully, I have an unconventional job, you yeah. know, where if I'm not traveling, I'm not working. Yeah. And I get the, the winters off. And mm-hmm. so that, that helped. But, yeah, no, there were plenty of times I would drive to, to D.C. and get there. And then an hour later, they'd be like, you got to go to <laughs> Diane. I'd be like, oh, I'm here with the dog alone yep. in D.C. All right. Uh, but it happens, you know what I mean? You know, I, she dealt with me traveling plenty, going to NASCAR races. Mm-hmm. But so that, that was never really an issue. If uh, I don't know, we both knew where we were coming from, and we've okay. been together for years. If we were trying to make a new relationship out of being in two different cities, that seems like it'd be impossible. But she she moved up a little bit. She moved to Atlanta. That's much closer. Much I'm down in Atlanta a lot. Uh, I can get there in three and a half hours if you leave at the right time mm-hmm. <laughs> and go light speed. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's still not ideal. We still want to. One day we'll have a normal, quote-unquote, lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But for right now, we're making it work, and I think we're both professionally thriving, and I hope that's the case. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's, an odd, it's an odd situation. It's odd. I think more, more people on the outside obviously see it as odd. I, right. I admit that it's odd, but, you know, we make sure. it work. That's just our normal. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I text Jennifer uh, when she's at work if it's pouring down rain and say, hey, honey, be careful driving home. Uh, you text Diane and say, hey, honey, there's a big-ass Category 5 hurricane headed your way. Uh, p- please be careful. I, how, how do you deal with that? I don't know, man. I, you know, again, hindsight, you think about some of the stuff she's been through. I mean, she was, she, I mean, she was in the middle of the Charlotte yeah. riots uh-huh. uh, when, that, when all that stuff was going on. Um, yeah, plenty of hurricanes. Uh, just she, she is that person getting mm-hmm. blown away and right. flooded out. Right. She w- Look, the last one that hit North Carolina, she was in... Uh, she was with the National Guard as they were mm-hmm. rescuing somebody, right. and the military vehicle tipped over live on television. <laughs> tipped over in, in the water. Right. Like, and and, and, t- and she, she was in there. She was in there. Yeah. And um, the, the video feed had cut out. I mean, I, I, I don't want to, fortunately, whatever, but it was only on the phone because okay. the, the, whatever, the live view, the feed right. wasn't working, yeah. but you could still hear. So as she's mm-hmm. reporting, 
nonchalantly, never misses a beat, but she's like, uh, Allison or whoever, the, you know, this is tipped over, we're in the water right now. She kept on going. At no point did she say, you know, I'm going to call you back. Yeah. She kept on reporting. So they had, so the, she was out with a rescue team who then had to be rescued. Yeah. And I'm watching all this happen on live television. I'm like, did she just say she's tipped over in the, like the vehicle? She's in it? Like trying to process this. And I'm texting her. I'm sure the whole world's oh, texting yeah, her. Her bosses, her parents. Yeah, everybody. And I'm, te- I'm like, hello, are you here? And, I, and I'm sitting at home, perfectly dry, with the dog, probably in my underwear, on the couch. <laughs> and she's been out in floodwaters for 12 hours. And she's a superwoman. Right. Super, I mean, right. compared to what I do, she is a superwoman. The Charlotte Media Podcast is brought to you by The Rat's Nest. Come find Charlotte's finest collection of vintage clothing and knickknacks at 442 East 36th Street. If you're lucky, you'll find an Eddie Money t-shirt or an Eddie Knox for Mayor t-shirt or perhaps a pair of beach britches from 1983. The Rat's Nest. If you're looking for a Luke Bryan t-shirt, go somewhere else. Love it. Alan, you've been to the Rat's Nest, haven't you? I have. I mean, for those who don't know, I mean, there's a lot of construction going on, and it's in a... It's on a great street in Noda, but that street has been closed for four and a half years, I think, and it just reopened. So I'm glad to have access to those buildings, and I'm sure Mm -hmm. that the Rat's Nest is glad (laughs) to have access to, you know, customers again. I'm thankful that I'm glad they survived. I mean, a lot of things would have closed up by then. They're they're doing okay. All right, so you've been in covering NASCAR for a long time now, and you've also thrived. I didn't know this until today, doing my uh, extensive research. You've been named Broadcaster of the Year by the National Motorsports Press Association three times. Yeah, well, not uh, that's a big deal. Well, thank you, and uh, but you know, I, I'm I try to remain humble now, but <laughs> I don't know how many people are for the award. But yeah, mm-hmm. you look at NMPA, National Motorsports Press Association. Yeah. We are uh, strong, and the numbers aren't what they once were. But you know, we're making a comeback, and uh, I'm proud to be a part of that association. And right. look, you, you submit, they have awards, and uh, I don't know how many people are submitting, but I don't know. I forget, I'm trying to be humble about it, but it, right. it's really cool. It, it's, right. it, it, I do these stories because, you know, this is how I grew up. I'm very mm-hmm. passionate about them when I tell these yeah. stories. Now I'm at the point where I can start telling stories about the 1993 season that I just loved as a kid, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I hope... Again, it all goes back to that whole sports center thing. Being the person providing some sort of entertainment or information, and that is my goal to kind of be a translator between what's happening at the racetrack and making it a viable product for you to watch on television. And maybe at the end of a three-minute story, you're like, hey, I learned something, or that was really cool. (laughs) That's why I do it, and if uh, I can win an award or two, it really makes my dad proud. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, that's the coolest part is when I show him the trophy, and it's like, you Uh know, my parents get a kick out of it. So. It's cool, and uh, you know, it's uh, it's awesome. Right, your mom, who cried when when she told <laughs> you she could you could make more money at McDonald's, uh, how does she feel now? Uh, she feels good. Yeah. I mean, I'm her one and only. I understand. She was uh, I'm the only child. Mm-hmm. She was just worried about me and knew again as a what I was 20, 20 I was 21. Yeah. You know, you don't realize the the, the breadth and yeah. of uh, student loan debt and paying your own rent. And the challenge that can be, and I'm it's sure she was just looking out for me, and she can do math, 18,000. <laughs> and uh, so I'm sure she was scared, and that was all. You know, you're always looking out for your kids. So, no, she was always very supportive, but I think she was just a little worried when she heard that number. All right, you're 36. You're doing pretty well professionally. I mean, uh, if, the, if the crick doesn't rise, you got another 30 years left Ugh. in this business. Yeah, you uh, hope. I mean, yeah, you, you, you hope. hope. Yeah. What's, I, I mean, who knows if, if NASCAR is sold? I, who, who knows what happens? I, I, are, are you, uh, do you, you have a positive feeling about NASCAR in the future? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a positive direction, um, 
Uh, the sport I don't worry about. Okay. I mean, really, just because it, it's in a form of entertainment. Um, you see tracks and you see owners and you see people reinvesting, you know, mm -hmm. making $100 million upgrades to these tracks yeah. and everything. And if people are spending that type of money, they're either taking a, you know, a Hail Mary risk, which I don't think you do with hundreds of millions of dollars, no. or you sincerely believe good things are coming. I mean, there has been a downturn. It hasn't been the, the best. There's a new normal, but I think that the product on the track has been good, and that's what, I don't know, that's what I've always gone to. And like, if you want, I mean, if you want my own theories on it, I remember, you know, like, again, back in 1993, it was sort of that niche sport oh, in, yeah. in the South. And you either liked it or you didn't. You it's know what I mean? It's kind of like that now. Exactly. Yeah. And there was that period of time where you, they were people. We were marketing to the casual fan or someone I know would never watch NASCAR, <laughs> like the type of person that would have made fun of me in sixth grade for liking yeah. NASCAR. So I always had this chip <laughs> on my shoulder. Even when at its most popular, I was like, you don't, screw you. You don't really like it. You're just yeah. being a, a jerk. And now if those people are gone. The, the popularity is never bothering me because I've always loved it. And I know there's right. a core of people that love racing, and that's who I've always identified with. Yes, I want as many fans as possible. I want them to enjoy it. But uh, these Johnny-come-latelys or these you know, fair-weather people, uh, I've, I've never associated with them. I never really worried if New York City and L.A. love NASCAR. I, I worry about people who like racing love NASCAR, and I, they still do. So do, do you eventually want to get in the booth, maybe, and do something like that Well, in, in 20 years? Yeah, uh, are, that's are tough you, to uh, say. I mean, I've never done play-by-play, -play, okay. so I've never really thought of myself like that. Um, I'm doing more and more on pit road, which right. I like. I feel it can be an element of reporting. Again, that translation where you hear from the radio, you hear the teams talking and get that sense. Uh, I enjoy that, being able to be the translator, you know, on to television about what's happening in real time. Uh, certainly the booth is very prestigious. I just don't put myself on that level because I've never done play-by-play. -play. It right. seems like it'd be really hard, and I should start practicing <laughs> if I ever wanted to be on that level. And I've just never done that, so I wouldn't imagine, you know, I wouldn't just come out and say I can do something like that because I don't know if I can. But, um, you know, maybe it comes with time and experience, and certainly I would, you know, give a shot at it. But, uh I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's the sport I don't worry about. Broadcasting right. in general. I mean, how many how many careers are there that go for decades plus? Right. Not a ton. No, Not I know. Ton. So, you know, don't don't, don't get me wrong. I, I think about like what because it could end tomorrow. That's the other mm -hmm. thing about broadcast. You yeah. know, I, your your next contract could be over. Mm -hmm. I could find out in August that. Um, yeah, yeah, you're not coming back next year. What are yeah. you going to do? You've been covering NASCAR for the last five years. Maybe uh, you can go to CNN and cover hurricanes. Yeah, maybe, maybe I can go back to news. That's <laughs> why I'm glad. I, that's why I'm really glad I have yeah. the news background. Mm -hmm. To be honest, right? I mean, I can. Uh, as long as you can be on TV and storytell, that's how I try to sell myself. Yeah. That heaven forbid NASCAR wasn't there one day, or mm -hmm. it, it, my time happened to be up. I can at yeah. least be a good communicator. And that's what I would, that's what I tell youngins, if you will, like be, yeah. just be good at being on television and being a presenter and a broadcaster. The content, you can take care of itself. I can, I, I can report on school board meetings. I can report on breaking news fires. Okay. I can report on Dale Earnhardt Jr. winning the Daytona 500. It doesn't matter. Like yeah. at least I can be there for it. You know what I mean? Right. I can, I can communicate effectively. I think that's what you have to focus on. Okay. What's been your best day professionally in your oh, career? That's a. I, I apologize. I have no good right answer. Um, I think back to the big moments, like the Mayfield story, yeah. just being ready. Uh, being ready, and I don't know what it was, but again, I knocked it out of the park. I tried to be humble, but again, that yeah. day, knocked it out of the park. Didn't stutter. I knew I had a limited time, asked three great questions, and that propelled, I mean, the last 10 years of my life. Uh, so that was, that was awesome. 
Uh, I just did um, for Race Hub last year. I did a cool mm-hmm. story about the 1993 season, and you know it takes a couple months of work to do. But when I think about it in my head, I've been working on that story every day for 25 years. Mm-hmm. Honestly, that's how I feel about it. Tw- every day for 25 years, I've been working on that yeah. story, and uh, you know to be able to do it, it's awesome. I interviewed Rusty Wallace, Mark Martin, and uh, Andy Petrie, who was mm-hmm. Dale Earnhardt's crew chief. They right. were the big three yeah. back in 1993. We had the big three in NASCAR in 2018. So I did that parallel, mm-hmm. and it was awesome. All right, Alan. Thanks for doing this, man. No, Appreciate no it. problem. All right, man. You didn't want any local news stories? <laughs> I mean, if you got local no, news, we'll take it. All right. Uh, That's good. <laughs>